Thank you very much. And I appreciate you coming to. I have special effects, so I'm going to use them. <laughs> coming to Spurbs Herbs. Uh, this is technically episode 19. I've skipped a few episodes, so I don't know what I'm going to do with the numbering system. But we're going to be talking about Da Swan, Ali Sativi, a bulbous, which is garlic bulb in standard terms. That's what we're going to be talking about today. I am, as always, your presenter, Dr. Greg Sperber. Let's get into it. So today we are, as always, if you're an acupuncturist, this podcast, as well as others, are approved for California Acupuncture Board Continuing Education Units and National Certification Commission of Acupuncture and Oriental Medicine professional development activities at a very reasonable cost. You can find those at integratedmedicinecouncil.org. I have a new book coming out called Dragons in the Medicine Cabinet, Chinese Herbal Medicines Everyone Should Have at Home. And if you're interested in getting information about this book, please send me an email at drgreg at spurbsherbs.com. All right. So let's get into it. So. I always promise something a little different whenever I do one of these podcasts. And it's it, that little something different is definitely the most enjoyable and daunting aspect of every episode. What the heck am I going to come up with as a little something different? Uh, there are always tons of possibilities, or sometimes there doesn't seem to be anything obvious. But then as I get into it, I figure it out. Today's topic lent itself to an absolute plethora of possible somethings different. Of course, when one thinks of garlic, they think of food, and many, many cuisines around the world employ the stinking rose, that's the nickname for garlic, but that was a little too on the nose, I thought. So then I thought of garlic and vampires, something a little bit different, but then I did a little research, and there's not much of a story there as far as I can tell. It is because it's smelly, garlic just repels vampires, or it's antimicrobial, this is based on the fact that vampirism is an infection and therefore this could cure the infection or protects against blood-sucking mosquitoes, so therefore it would protect against blood-sucking vampires. Basically, that's it. That's it. Done. End of the story. That's all there is to talk about with garlic and vampires. All right. So that didn't work out really well. Then I thought about Chinese vampires, different and relevant. I thought, because we're talking about this from a Chinese perspective, my martial arts instructor talked to me about Chinese vampires in quotes. These are real and are women trained to steal chi during intercourse. And he taught me a lot about that and how to prevent that and that sort of thing. So uh, that's something that he says are actually out there. When I looked it up there, when I looked up Chinese vampires, there's a whole genre of Chinese vampires called Jiang Chi. Uh, very interesting hopping vampires. I should, uh, that was my first Chinese of this uh, podcast, and I always like to, to let everyone know that my I've taken several years of Chinese. I'm still very bad at pronunciation, so please forgive my, my, my Chinese. Um, they're very interesting hopping vampires. They're sort of, some people say they're more zombie than vampires, and others say they're more vampire than zombie, and it's really a fascinating sort of subgenre of, of vampires. But neither they nor the Chinese vampires of my martial arts instructor have anything to do with garlic, and therefore it was completely irrelevant to today's uh, podcast. So I am back to food. Of course, I don't want to just talk about garlic in a generic way. We'll be talking about different types of garlic, 
We'll talk quite a bit about one type of garlic I have actually been scared to try. I've seen it, and it looks scary to me, and it's called black garlic. We'll discuss what it is, how to use it, even how to make it. I'm excited. Let's get going. So there are 10 common types of garlic. There's, there's give or take a few, and one very related type. The 10 types are broken down into two major subspecies, soft neck and hard neck. Hard neck varieties, which are the subspecies Ophios corridon or Ophios scorridon. And that's, so technically it's a subspecies, so it'd be Allium sativum uh, Ophios scorodon. Scorodon, there we go. Typically have stronger flavors, larger cloves, and have a woody central stalk called a scape which are frequently chopped to encourage growth in the bulb and are actually considered a delicacy when it's that time of the year. Some common varieties of these hardnecks include rocambole, purple stripe, marbled purple stripe, glazed purple stripe, and porcelain. These are all varieties, cultivars, if you will. There are also varieties of weakly bolting or intermediate hardnecks, which do produce scapes just like the, the full-on hardnecks, but only in harsh conditions, under harsh conditions. So if it's super cold or something along those lines, then they will, they will create a scape. And these include the Asiatic Creole and Turban varieties. This is the same, this is considered the, the same subspecies as the other hardnecks. It's just, they're not, the, the other hardnecks always produce escape. These only sometimes produce escape. And if you can see the, PowerPoint. Here is a picture of a garlic bulb with a nice green scape coming out of the top of it. Then we have the soft neck varieties, and this is subspecies sativum. So if that sounds familiar, that is the, the singular for the sativi. So this is actually allium sativum sativum is, uh, is the actual technical Latin name of this which have a they have a mild flavor are not delicate in other words they're they're pretty strong uh, hard to screw up they do not have escape that is where the soft neck comes from versus the hard neck the hard neck is the scape the soft neck is not the scape and they have lots of cloves per bulb so they have a lot more cloves per bulb than the hardscapes do and these are what we are most familiar with in our in our markets, especially our supermarkets. You may be able to find some of the hardscapes and some of the other types uh, in, in, say, a farmer's market where they have a little bit more unusual produce. But when you go to the supermarket, get a big bag of it from Costco, then that is what we're talking about are these soft, soft neck varieties. And the two common types of these, uh, at least in the U.S., are artichoke and silver skin. Those are the two varieties. So finally, there's another type of quote-unquote garlic. This is called elephant garlic or buffalo garlic. It's the same. The, this is actually a different species. It's Allium ampeloprasum, ampeloprasum. And these have giant, very large bulbs, up to a pound each. A bulb has a pound. And they usually have a very small number of cloves, four to six cloves, a mild flavor, and it's actually more closely related to leeks and onions than it is garlic. But it looks like garlic, and so we call it a garlic, and it's giant. So very, very interesting. So that's one other form of garlic. It's not really garlic. The other two are garlic, but this one is called garlic. All right. So let's 
been into that black garlic. So what is black garlic? It is garlic that has been aged under specific temperature and humidity conditions to produce black cloves with a gummy texture and a lighter molasses-like flavor, at least molasses tones to it. It's supposed to have lots of health benefits as well. We're going to talk about, again, we're going to talk about how to make it, use it in recipes, find out if it has any specific health benefits different from regular garlic. If you can see the screen, there's a picture of it here. And you can see on this picture, there's a central stalk. So this is uh, black garlic made from a hardscape type of garlic. So there are several companies that sell black garlic and their derived products. Capsules, anyone? They actually encapsulate some of this. So you can actually take it internally for the health reasons, as well as really what it's used for a lot is, is cooking. It is supposedly very easy to make, and there are many recipes on how to do it, though they're all pretty similar. They start with either a slow cooker or a rice cooker. You place six or seven uh, clean bulbs in the cooker. Uh, to clean them, do not use water that really screws up the humidity in all this. Just rub off any dirt with a stiff vegetable brush or the rough side of a clean sponge. And when we say rub off any dirt, we're actually talking about the, the bottom part where all the, the, the dirt and the little, um, the little uh, strings are. Uh, rough that off, you know, rub that off with a vegetable brush or rough side of a clean sponge. Set the slow or rice cooker to warm, not low. Make sure the bulbs are not touching each other and cover, and then you wait. You let it sit on the warm setting for two to three weeks, making sure the cooker has not switched off, and uh, that's a key because a lot of these cookers will switch off of on their own if you're not careful, so you do want to keep an eye on it. Apparently, your whole house smells like garlic, especially for the first few days, and then after that, it becomes less so. And when it's about two to three weeks, you can start to test readiness by squeezing one club. Well, first of all, you should look at it. It's, it should be black. It should be a little loose. The skin should be a little loose on the clove. And then you can squeeze one clove. It should be spongy, soft, and chewy, similar to a date or a dried fig. And the only other thing to know is the inner cloves. Cloves may take longer than the outer cloves to completely turn black into black garlic. After that, once you're all done with this, you can store it in an airtight container for up to three months and use it. Well, let's see how you can use it right now. So it can be used in place of garlic in almost any recipe, and it adds a lot of umami. If you're not familiar with this term umami, this is considered, we know the the five tastes, we were all brought up knowing the five tastes, salt and sweet, saltiness and sweet and, and bitter. And um, I don't remember what the other two are at this point. Well, there's a sixth one and it came out of, of Japan originally. And that's why it's called umami. Umami is a Japanese term term. And umami is sort of this, this flavor that enhances the other flavors. And so it's a really important sort of flavor when you're cooking to add umami. Things that add umami, first of all, we think of a lot of, a lot of meat dishes have umami. Um, the meat provides umami. Mushrooms are very good with umami. That's why mushrooms are, very, are a good substitute for meat in a lot of things. And uh, things that are fermented often have a lot of umami. So soy sauce is said to have a lot of umami. So this black garlic, it is what we've really done is kind of fermented the garlic. So it has a lot of umami and can add not just that garlic flavor and um, in, in an interesting way, but this umami uh, flavor as well, which enhances the dish. So some interesting suggestions, uh, suggestions about using it include 
uh, using it as part of a cheese or charcuterie plate on bruschetta instead of, of garlic, or in homemade vinaigrette, as well as almost any Chinese dish. It's very good for substitution. Several, several chefs call it their secret weapon, and one said using it powdered is like magic dust on various dishes. In other words, you can use it on almost anything. So it's really a really neat thing to do. And we're going to find out that it's a milder flavor, and we're going to find out right now why it is a milder flavor. So health benefits. Black garlic is said to have as have twice as much antioxidant powder as standard power as standard garlic. So it's much more antioxidant than regular garlic. Allicin, the chemical that causes the distinctive garlic taste, is converted into bioactive alkaloids and flavonoid compounds and has been demonstrated, at least in some studies, to have anti-allergic, anti-diabetic, anti-inflammatory, and anti-carcinogenic effects. So that allicin is sort of that normal bite we get with garlic. And so it is being converted to other other uh, substances. We're going to see a main one in just a second. And because it's converted, this black garlic doesn't have as much bite as we would expect. So uh, continuing with health benefits, uh, there was one study by Tron and others supports these claims and adds benefits to treat dyslipidemia. So if you have raised cholesterol or triglycerides, obesity, it actually was said to treat obesity, memory, uh, so memory loss and memory uh, issues, and the liver, it's supposed to be hepatoprotective as well. And most of these claims were substantiated through animal studies and should be taken with some skepticism, just to be honest about that. But still, it's the pointing to a very interesting direction. And they further looked at this and found that many of these benefits are due to the enhanced breakdown of allicin uh, and allein, which are uh, very similar in the regular garlic, the raw garlic. And it breaks down into other kind of similar compounds. Uh, well, it breaks down to S-allele cysteine or SAC and similar compounds when compared to garlic. And it's these SAC that has lots of different health benefits. And so more SAC, I at least in the research, has shown that more health benefits. So that's where that comes from. So let's talk about an herbal legend about garlic and daswan. So this is from a nice little book that I picked up called 50 Herbal Legends. And they're little stories to kind of help explain, you know, they're, they're like folk stories about various herbs. And only 50 of them. There's a lot more than 50 herbs in the Pharmacopoeia, so they, this doesn't cover everything, but Daswan was number 50, so it was the last of the herbs that they talked about. So let's get into that story. A farmer, the neighbor of a doctor, was obsessed with medicinal herbs and asked the doctor if he would take them on as a student. The doctor declined, as in that period of time, medical knowledge was only handed down within one's family and never to outsiders. The farmer did not give up and knew the doctor was teaching his helper at night. So one night, the farmer stood outside the doctor's window and listened to the lecture. However, that night, the doctor was talking about a bill a patient owed and not about medicine. From his perch, the farmer could not hear everything exactly clearly. When the doctor responded to an inquiry from his helper about interest on the payment, he said, not necessary, hold back the interest. However, the farmer thought he heard the doctor say, Da Swan can cure diarrhea. 
So this doesn't make a lot of sense in English, but I'm assuming it makes a lot of sense in Chinese, that the Chinese, these terms that are used are very similar. The farmer student had a chance to use his newfound knowledge and was able to cure a relative of his diarrhea of his diarrhea by using garlic. He then set up a clinic in his relative's house, and soon many patients came to him to have their di diarrhea successfully cured. When the doctor heard about this, he asked the farmer how he learned Daswan could cure diarrhea, and the farmer replied that he learned it from him. When the farmer explained how he came about the knowledge, the doctor laughed out loud. All right, this is a good chance for there we go. Not exactly a doctor laughing, but it's there. He laughed out loud and explained that they were talking about medical bills that night. The shocked farmer then asked, then why does Daswan work so well for diarrhea? And the doctor replied, I must admit, you really have gotten some knowledge of medicine, so you may become my student. And he trained him. And hence, Daswan became a member of the herb family. So a little story that explains some of the the aspects of, of Daswan and why it's important as an herb. All right. So let's get into some of the technical details about garlic and some more interesting aspects of it. So it comes from the family Liliaceae. Its me medicinal part is the bulb or even the cloves, if you will, in the bulb. Other names for Daswan include, of course, garlic bulb, Taisan, which is Japanese, Taisan, which is Korean. Again, I don't know Japanese or Korean, so I'm maybe pronouncing those completely incorrectly. And then there's Hu Swan, which is another Chinese term for this. Hu is an interesting term. It, it, it often means barbarian, which in herbs, that means it comes from without, uh, it comes outside, it comes from outside of China. But this is a strange version of Hu. It's pronounced the same way, but it has actually a grass radical rather than um, and the barbarian term does not. So it just, it, it kind of means, an, it, it, I guess you can interpret it as sort of a, an herb that comes from outside. It's a little bit of a strange term. may not be translatable. The dosage on it is usually four and a half to nine grams per day. Uh, Chen and Chen state that three to five pieces, and by pieces they mean cloves. So I, I don't know what an average clove weighs, uh, so I don't know if that's uh, similar. I would imagine they probably weigh about one and a half to, to two uh, grams each, so that, that's probably about the same dosing. The category is interesting because every book gave a different category for this herb. Bensky says it is an herb that expels parasites. Okay, well, I don't recall learning it in that, in that thing, so that was a revision. Um, so that is an interesting one. Chen and Chen state it is a substance for topical application. So it doesn't even talk about parasites. It doesn't even, uh, in this grouping, it doesn't even say internally, even though some of the, the functions of it in, in Chen and Chen do talk about taking it internally. And Brandon Wiseman classifies it as a toxin-attacking, worm-killing, and itch-relieving medicinal. And we're going to see those all come up in its medical actions. So it's, it's an interesting categorization of this, of this herb. So it comes from the Allium gen genus. So Allium sativi or Allium sativum. So Allium is going to be the genus. Translated, this simply means garlic in Latin. But it includes, it includes perennials with true bulbs, many of which are found on rhizomes. Uh, so rhizomes are, of course, a part of the herb, and uh, 
quite a root, but the uh, they go into the ground. And the odor and taste of onions or garlics all have that in common. They have been employed as food and medicinal substances for a very long time. So some some examples of of other species in this genus include onions, or Allium sepa, French shallots, Allium oceanini. Again, I don't know Latin, so please excuse my Latin here. Leeks, uh, which is Allium ampelopressum, which was the same one that we had for the buffalo garlic, so it actually is uh, a member of the leek uh, family. Scallions, various Allium species, and herbs, such of course, of course, garlic, and chives, Alfium shoenoprosum, are all part of this genus. So you see the similarities. They all have this sort of similar flavor profile because when we eat a lot of this stuff, um, and we also know a lot of this is used in for medicinal purposes as well. It is acrid and warm and enters the large intestine, lung, spleen, and stomach. This is from Bensky's book, Bensky and, and Pals. Um, Chen Chen, do not include the large intestine as one of the channels it enters. And uh, Brandon Wiseman agrees with acrid and warm, but states some sources say it's sweet and balanced. Uh, my guess is if anyone could say garlic is sweet and balanced, because anyone who taste it, I think, would agree with spicy and warm. Um, I think the sources that say it's sweet and balanced might be using different species or different types that are much more mild than, than what we've seen here. Good quality garlic is large, thick, and has a spicy taste. I guess that really doesn't help a lot <laughs> when you're at the market trying to figure out what is a good quality garlic. Uh, you know, things I always look for are there's no shrunken cloves, there's no spots that, uh, there's no black cloves in there, and it seems fairly um, fairly smooth. You know, whenever I go and look for garlic in the supermarket, if it's loose garlic, you see a lot of people will poke their finger in, and so there's always like little cuts in it, and I don't know what that is about. I have a feeling it's some secret Italian way to find out what um, the best garlic, so... And, of course, uh, they do that and then leave it, so you know you're not getting the best garlic if they left it. I have no idea. So I'm curious about that. So according to Bensky, it was first described in the Bensao Jing Ji Zhu, the collection of commentaries on the classic of the Materia Medica, written during the North and South Kingdoms period, which went from 420 to 589 CE. Uh, so that's a, you know, that's a wide period of time. So sometime in there, this came out. Chen Chen actually said it was first described in the Mingyi Zazhu, the miscellaneous records of famous physicians in 500 CE. I think those are pretty, you know, if 500 CE is right smack, you know, in the, in the, actually it's, uh, yeah, it's right smack in the middle of the North and South Kingdoms period. So whether or which book it is, I'm not sure, but the timing is about the right. So 500 CE. Now that's that's kind of significant. That's a little bit later in in herbal uh, thinking in in China. You know the 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 uh, Bensao, um, the Shendong Bensao Jing, which is kind of the first written book of of individual herbs, was written uh, during the Han Dynasty, which went from 200 uh, years BCE to 200 years CE. If you're not familiar with, if it's been a while since you've been in school, BC means before the Common Era, and CE means the Common Era. 
we're supposed to use that instead of saying BC before Christ and AD after death. It's the exact same thing, just different terms. They still think it's very Christian centric, but that's where we're at. So um, the Shenong Ben Sao Jing is the first uh, written record of, of that we have on individual herbs. So this is, you know, several hundred years after that. So that's, that's quite a, a long period uh, after that, uh, that original uh, herbal compendium. So um, outside of China, however, it was first described in uh, Mesopotamian cuneiform records over 4,000 years old. So been around used for a long period of time, both as food and medicine. So absolutely uh, one of the quintessential herbs, especially in the West. Uh, so very interesting history with Gaswan. So what are its Chinese medical actions? Well, it's in that kill parasite, uh, treat parasite uh, category, according to Bensky. So it kills parasites. And when we talk about parasites, we're really kind of talking about worms and uh, potentially some of some um, some singular cellular single cellular parasites. It disperses abscesses and reduces swelling. So again, uh, that can be internally, but really we're probably talking about topically there. So we're beginning that topic topically that Chen Chen talks about. Uh, reduces swelling again and relieves toxicity both internally and topically. So. Uh, that is helpful. When in Chinese, we'd say relieves toxicity, of course, we're, we're often talking about infectious processes, as, as kind of viral or, or bacterial. That would be sort of the translation, not exactly. I don't want to do a, any equality here, but it kind of helps get us, get our head wrapped around what is toxicity for people who haven't studied it. Warms the stomach, strengthens the spleen, promotes the movement of qi, and reduces stagnation. That's a lot of stuff that it does there. What we can get from it is warms the stomach, strengthens the spleen. That is really good uh, for digestion. Those are both digestive organs. So that's where we kind of are starting to get into seeing that in that story we just heard about Daswan helping diarrhea. This, especially a cold diarrhea, this would be very good for, for doing that. Uh, promotes, the, promotes the movement of qi. Uh, when we look at acrid uh, herbs, we often will say that uh, they're dispersing. So they often move the qi, um, sometimes harshly. We're going to see we're kind of on the border of that with this herb. And reduces stagnation. So um, there's two kinds of ways to interpret stagnation. One is qi stagnation. And because it promotes the movement of qi, it does reduce qi stagnation. The other thing is this is also very good for relieving or reducing food stagnation as well. And that's a specific sort of um, condition in, in Chinese medicine. And we say there's actually a physical, often a physical cessation of food being stuck in our digestive system. But really it's just, it's a series of, of just, we've all had that, like, you know, we've overeaten and we just feel off, like something's just not right and it's not moving. That's food stagnation. So uh, this can help with that. It is, it is good for relieving food poisoning, especially crab and fish poisoning. So it's often used with a, a, another herb um, that is um, totally folium, totally blanking on it for, for fish poisoning. Used a lot in, uh, in Japanese uh, sushi. It's the little green uh, leaf um, prilla, folium prilla. I knew it would come to me eventually. And uh, zisuye. 
And uh, so that is um, really good uh, for fish poisoning. And so the two together are actually quite, quite good. It resolves toxins, uh, kills worms, and checks dysentery. So again, all, all of those can cause a diarrhea type, uh, different types of diarrhea. So it can actually be really useful for all that. And it can be and is often used with moxibustion for many types of conditions. And we'll talk about a couple of those as we go through this. Again, if you have any questions, feel free to put them in the chat box, send me an email, or just speak up. Okay. So, as quoted in Bensky, the commentary commentary on the divine husbandman's husbandman. So that's Shendong, divine husbandman is Shendong. So the actually divine husbandman's classic material medica is that Shendong, Shendong Ben Sao Jing that I, I, I mentioned earlier. But this is a different book. This is the commentary on that book, which happened later than that book. So the commentary on the divine husbandsman's, that is a hard word to say, classic materia medica explains this herb. Acrid and warm, it travels and pierces, reaching everywhere, including the five yin organs. Its actions are best at unblocking and thrusting out through the orifices, expelling cold dampness, clearing away noxious pathogens, dispersing swollen sores, transforming gathered accumulations, warming the spleen and stomach, and promoting the flow of all chi. So it can do a lot with that. So that is a really good, um, it does, that's a lot of things that this herb does. Uh, this is not an herb that we use a lot in Chinese medicine. I mean, I think it's used a lot in Chinese food for medicinal purposes potentially, but we rarely, I've never just put this in a formula for a patient. I uh, have used it for moxa. I've seen it used and have used it for moxa on occasion. Um, so again, it does all these things, but it's not necessarily the best thing to do a lot of this, though it is unique in kind of how it puts these all together. Okay, I'm trying to think if there's anything important for me to explain there. Nope, I'm going to move on. So this passage goes on to warn, however, those who consume it every day do not know its acrid flavor can disperse qi, and its heat can assist fire, injuring the lungs, harming the eyes, and blurring the consciousness. It actually goes on in this passage. I didn't do it because it wasn't a quote, but it, it actually says it uh, harms the spirit. It, it, it prevents spiritual uh not attainment, but spiritual growth. So it's very interesting. Uh, there are definitely some negatives to this herb, in other words. It is also effective against hookworms and pinworms, though it should be combined with other herbs that treat intestinal parasites, such as binglong, betel nut, ariase semen. So that's the uh, ariase seed. So that means seed. So the seed of betel nut. If you're not familiar with betel nut, uh, this is in Southeast Asia, very, very common. That's what they, they're chewing. You'll see uh, they a lot of people often have uh, red stains in the corners of their mouth or around their mouth, and that's because they chew betel nut. And if you think about it, there's a lot of parasites in that, in that area, and so it's a perfectly, it's a very natural and uh, good approach to, to dealing with it. Uh, and, and, of course, I think the cuisines in that area also have lots of garlic as well, so very effective combination to prevent any sort of worms from coming. Okay. 
Some preparations, it can be sliced or mashed and used as a base for cone moxibustion. So <coughs> if you're not familiar with cone moxibustion or moxibustion, I do have another Spurbs Herbs on IEA, uh, which is mugwort, which is what makes is the bulk of what makes up moxa, which is burnt and used for moxibustion. And cone moxibustion is where we form that moxa punk is what we call it, it's sort of a, uh, sort of a, a cottony, form of moxa and we form that into a cone and burn it and, you know place it on in this case over a slice or a mashed base uh, of garlic and put the moxa on top of that and burn it and uh, that can be useful for lots of different things since since uh, garlic is considered warming it's a it's, it adds to the warmth of the moxa bustion. it's also very useful for topical uh, situations as well so used for a lot of things uh, this one's an issue. Mashed, it can be applied around the anus to prevent pinworms or to areas that may be exposed to hookworms. So, wow. Okay. When steeped in vinegar and consumed regularly, it can fortify the spleen and warms the stomach, increasing the appetite and treating cold pain in the stomach. And, of course, we can use it as we use most of our herbs. We can decoct it. Uh, so that is a whole nother way of, of using this in, in the most traditional way of using this in form, this herb. So really, there weren't any other combinations. It's a relatively rare herb that doesn't have a ton of combinations in any of the basic texts. Uh, we discussed the combination with Bing Long, and there really weren't any other major combinations to, to talk about. So that's kind of where we're at with combinations. So let's talk about the science. So Chen Chen states garlic is anti-neoplastic, which means that it prevents cancer uh, from forming. It is antibiotic, so it prevents it, it treats bacterial infections. It's antiviral, so it treats viral infections. It's anti-diabetic, so it helps diabetes. There's actually some, some decent research around that anti-diabetic effect. And, re and it reduces blood pressure blood cholesterol levels, and atherosclerosis, which, of course, is cardiovascular disease. Unfortunately, that was in various animals. They used dogs and rabbits and, and rats, I think, and they showed this pretty clearly throughout all this, which is interesting, uh, and as well as protects the liver, at least in rats. I'm a little curious about how they did this because one of the studies was in dogs, and yet I know that garlic is, is uh, poisonous to dogs. So they must have been using some sort of extract of it that eliminated something that was was poisonous to dogs so uh, so there in addition they list some small studies human studies showing it can treat antibiotic resistant pneumonomalite uh, i can't even say i i practice this too pneumonomaliasis right it's a uh, it's a um, parasitic disease nephritis so that is an inflammation of the kidneys and alopecia areata, uh, so alopecia areata is uh, is loss of hair, but it's not the male pattern baldness. It's more it's um, when women have it, it's usually more of this areata, and it's areas. It's like rings or circles that become hairless. And to do this, you use it topically while ingesting the formula Sichuan Dabutan, which is another spurbs herbs we have. So if you want to know more about Sichuan Dabutan, uh, that, that stands for the 10 great all-inclusive decoctions. So it's a very tonifying decoction. Again, all these were small studies, uh, but they were in humans, so that's, that's important. 
So the contents of garlic. What is in garlic? Garlic has been heavily researched, and hundreds of compounds have been discovered. Among the most important is allicin, which we've mentioned already, which gives garlic its smell and taste, as well as some of its, its health benefits. Combined with allotyridin, allicin is considered anti-neoplastic. So anti-neoplastic means it's that anti-cancer sort of thing. It also contains many derivatives of allicin, such as the aforementioned S-allele cysteine, many of which have been shown to have strong health benefits. Now, I should have said earlier when we were talking about black garlic that S-allele cysteine is much greater quantities. Like I, I've read about double what's normally in garlic, but there's a lot of that in garlic as well. So those same health benefits are in garlic. It's just a little bit stronger in, in the black garlic. So still very useful. Drug, or, drug herb interactions. There's lots of potential drug herb interactions with garlic, and we do need to be aware of them. Garlic does induce cytochrome P453A4 and P-glycoprotein. So I don't generally go into a lot of this on spurbs herbs, but these are uh, serious when, when we look at drug herb interactions. There's three main things that we're looking at for drug herb interactions. One is protein binding. One is cytochrome P450 interactions, and the other one is a narrow therapeutic index. Those are the three big ones. This is cytochrome P4, uh, P453A4 interactions inducing. When you induce CYP3A4, if there's a drug that requires its uh, metabolism by cytochrome uh, 3A4, cytochrome P453A4, then there is less of that, uh, there's more of that on cytochrome uh, 3A4 there. So it gets metabolized faster than it would probably do normally without the garlic. And so that means the drug can actually go through your system potentially faster than it would otherwise. So it, it can create some drug-herb interactions with that, and that is a major point that we look at whenever we're looking at drug-herb interactions. P-glycoprotein is uh, a little bit uh, newer, and it kind of can affect a lot of different aspects of what we call the ADME scheme. Um, but it is something to keep an eye on, and inducing P-glycoprotein is probably not as big of a, an issue as inhibiting it. So even though there's some potential drug herb interactions with that inducing of P-glycoprotein, it's probably not a huge concern in this case, but we do need to be aware of it. However, in addition, there have been numerous interactions with specific drug classes and individual drugs that we do need to be aware of. And so I'm going to list just a few of them here. It may attenuate cholesterol-lowering agents as shown in meta-analysis of human clinical trials. So that's a, that's a good one. Um, so in other words, it helps the cholesterol-lowering. It can make it, it, can make it uh, even more so. So that's an issue. Um, this is level B uh, evidence, which is pretty strong. It goes A, B, C, D. Uh, so B is, is pretty strong. There's not a ton of A levels in when we talk about herb drug-herb interactions. So level B is, is really strong evidence that it does that. It may attenuate anticoagulant and antiplatelet effects and should be used with caution in patients taking anticoagulant and antiplatelet agents, thrombolytic agents, and low molecular weight heparins. This is an expert opinion. Um, therefore, it's level D. It's the lowest level of evidence. However, I got to say, as an expert opinion, this is pretty widely uh, agreed to. You know, it's, it's sometimes these expert opinions are hard to study because to study them means we're going to cause harm in the, in the participants. So we, we can't really study that. Um, so I think there is 
a good case to be made for this. Usually, I'm not a big fan of expert opinions. I think this one is a little bit is a strong expert opinion. Is is my point. So if any of uh, if you are, are any of your patients are on any of these drugs, then you do want to be careful about adding a lot of garlic into that regimen. Daswan may induce increased metabolism of protease inhibitors by inducing cytochrome P450, 3A4. So we talked about the cytochrome um, 3A4 in inducement. This is specifically talking about protease inhibitors. If you're not familiar with protease inhibitors, these are one of the main line drugs used in HIV patients to control HIV and prevent AIDS from occurring. So uh, this one's an interesting. Human studies on individual protease inhibitors showed no interference except for when large doses of garlic were used in combination with sequinavir in a small human study. So I, I, I think I pegged this at, 11, at level D, I, you know, just the fact that there was a small human study, that means it's level C, um, at least for sequinavir. Um, the rest of it, you know, it, 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 they were small, so it, it may not show any protease, you know, any interference with the protease inhibitors, but at least theoretically it could. So DOS-1 attenuates anticoagulant antiplatelet effects of indomethacin and dipyridamol. Uh, in bench research. So bench research is always level D evidence. Um, this can be important, indomethacin and, and dipyridamol. Dipyridamol is, a, is an anticoagulant. Indomethacin is one of these weird drugs that kind of does a lot of things like aspirin, and it is an NSA like aspirin is, a non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drug, um, but it's also used in a lot of other things as well for a lot of other reasons. So um, useful to know, again, low level of evidence to support it. Garlic may increase bleeding time due to its decreased platelet aggregation effect and should be used with caution when taking indomethacin, so that supports that. Other NSAIDs, non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs. And again, this is an expert opinion, level D evidence. You know, something to be aware of if someone's on these drugs you want to be a little bit cautious about. Not all NSAIDs are anti-platelet, though. So aspirin is, and the other salicylic acid derivatives are going to be, uh, are going to cause decreased platelet aggregation. The other NSAIDs probably don't, with the exception of endomethacin. There may be a couple in there as well, but most NSAIDs, this is probably not an issue, uh, but a few of them there are. It may prevent hepatotoxicity from acetaminophen. So this is an interesting one. So acetaminophen is Tylenol. And um, I used to say uh, to my students uh, when I teach pharmacology, I'd always talk about, I said at the beginning, I'd warn them when we were talking about suicide and murder and all kinds of stuff in this, in this class. So they kind of bring out some of the properties of some of these drugs. And acetaminophen was one of those that I, I would always say, if you really want to kill yourself, acetaminophen is the way to do it. Uh, take a bottle of acetaminophen, you're going to be dead. Your liver is going to quit on you. You're going to die. The problem is it's going to be two or three weeks of absolute agony and there's nothing anyone can do to reverse it. Uh, that may have changed since then, but you know it's been 20 years. Um, I don't think there's a counteract, anything to counteract it, but there might be better support options than there was. Um, so that hepatotoxin, and, that, and the reason why I'd say that is it, it, it really amplifies that hepatotoxicity that can happen from Tylenol. And so it said that um, fresh garlic may um, really help prevent that hepatotoxicity from acetaminophen. Uh, and so if you are going to take a lot of acetaminophen, maybe taking some garlic is not a bad idea. 
So what are some concerns about Daswan? Contraindicated in yin vacuity with heat science. This is a very technical Chinese medical term, yin vacuity with heat. And it makes sense because it's warming and it uh, drains dampness. Uh, that would see it helps hold dampness. So it's going to warm things up and drain some fluids. And that's exactly what you don't want to have happen when your yin is low, your fluids are low, and you have heat signs. It is a skin irritant. should not be applied topically for prolonged periods of time. It should not be ingested by those with problems of the eyes, of, uh, by those with problems of the eyes, teeth, mouth, throat, or tongue. Uh, what it will do is if you have any problems with that, you know, it can kind of induce ulcers, things along those lines, heat. Uh, you know, I'll tell you my experience with, with garlic just briefly. I love garlic. It's, it's absolutely one of my favorite flavors. I love garlic. The problem is it doesn't agree with me. I am someone who tends to be very warm. In general, I have sort of a damp heat consti uh, constitution. And I find if I eat, I can have garlic and I can have small amounts of garlic, no problem. But if I take too much garlic, especially at night, I have insomnia that night. And I actually call it garlic insomnia. And I'm like up, ha sort of half up, half asleep all night long. I get horrible sleep. And it's from the heat of the garlic. So... Uh, that's that's sort of going into some of these concerns uh, as well. So topical application to the perianal area or enemas are contraindicated during pregnancy. So some books said it's perfectly fine to take during pregnancy. Um, others said you should be careful during pregnancy. Um, I think contraindication was the term used in this book. I think a better word might be, uh, rather than contraindication, might be uh, caution during pregnancy. And one of the things that was clearly noted was that that uh, women who are breastfeeding uh, will, when they take in garlic, they will change the flavor of their of their breast milk, even to the point where the the baby will will no longer suckle. So uh, it can be a real concern. And I, I think generally they advise against eating lots of garlic while uh, breast feeding uh, at least in the u.s you know so there you go those are some concerns the commentary on the divine husbandsman's classic of materia medica which i've quoted earlier states when the lungs and stomach have heat the liver and kidneys have fire or people have chi vacuity and blood weakness this definitely should not touch their lips so very interesting lots of different conditions but What's common in a lot of these is heat, so the lung and stomach heat, the liver and kidney fire. Uh, chi vacuity just means they're very, they don't have enough chi, so remember this is acrid and it disperses, and so if there's not enough chi to disperse, you can cause some problems. And blood weakness, when you have blood weakness, we're starting to go down the road to yin deficiency and heat, so we don't want to weaken the blood further by, by taking this, this herb. So that's a lot of different. Uh, that's a, a lot of different concerns there, and that pretty much wraps up our class today. I did. I didn't want. I, I wanted to tell you something that I've discovered more. I wanted to talk about it under the black garlic because I thought a really interesting use of black. Garlic. So first of all, I didn't get into the black garlic. Let me talk about that just for a second before we, we say thank you. We have a few minutes here. Um, 
I'm I was scared of black garlic. I would look at him like, oh, that does not look good. Uh, it's like, it seems like it's like everything you're not supposed to eat. But after doing all the research on it and finding, out, I am so excited about making it and using it. So I'm gonna do all those steps. I just I think it's gonna be just. I'm really looking forward to using it. One of the things I want to try with it is I've been experimenting with making the perfect garlic bread. And I, I read it. It was, a, it was an article uh, a couple months ago in our local newspaper, the San Diego Union Tribune. And what they suggested was when you, you do it, um, when you make garlic bread, use three types of garlic. And so what they recommended was roasted garlic. And if you've never had roasted garlic, it is to die for. And I find that even when I eat a lot of gar uh, roasted garlic, I don't get that heat sensation. So I think the roasting of it really kind of breaks down a lot of uh, probably the allicin. And so that's what I'm reacting to a little bit. So I find that I can have some roasted garlic where I couldn't before. Uh, and it's easy to do. You just put, a, you know, cut off the tops of a clove, put it, wrap it in, in um, tin foil. But before you close it up, just put a few drizzles of olive oil on it. And it doesn't matter the temperature, 350 degrees, 450 degrees. Um, it's it, You can't burn it. You want it caramelized, and you just do that for anywhere from a half an hour to an hour. Um, and it just it comes out amazing. Then you squeeze out the, the paste of the roasted garlic. So use that on your garlic bread. Use garlic powder as well as raw garlic. That will be cooked a little bit as you do it. And you do all three, and my friends have just gone ape crazy over this this garlic bread using all three of the garlics and i i'm really excited about trying the the black garlic in this in this recipe maybe make it four garlics rather than just three garlics it might be a complete bomb but i'm excited to give that a shot so i wanted to i wanted to mention that and and do that I'm really actually, I'm, I'm hungry right now. It's, it's a couple hours after lunchtime, and I really want to try some black garlic. So there you go. So that's our whole thing. <laughs> that's our, our podcast for the day. Thank you very much. Uh, just remember, if you when you buy from Amazon, please use the banner ad on our homepage. It's birdsherbs.com. That helps us continue to do these things. Uh, and have the podcast out there. If you do have any questions, you want to get in touch with me, you can always email me at drgreg at spurbsherbs.com. That's S-P-E-R-B-S-H-E-R-B-S.com or at our website, www.spurbsherbs.com. So that's all easy. Thank you very much. And if you're looking at the slides, I have, as usual, a relatively extensive bibliography. I'm a big fan of going down everywhere I get this information from. So a couple pages of a bibliography. It's a little bit early. Uh, not, not too early, but a touch early. So if anyone has any questions, if you want to put them in the chat box or unmute yourself, happy to answer any questions you might have and go from there. Otherwise, call it... The proceeding was presented by Dr. Greg Sperber. We would like to thank Janelle for all her support and everybody else who contributed to this program. Janelle. Timothy Dobbins. Rogers. Campbell.